This is episode 86, the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, Monday, January 15th, 2024. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Insight and perspective for members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joining us today, Ken Bellinger, senior trader. Good morning. And Jason Cooper, research analyst. Hey, Danny. We just want to thank all the listeners that come back week after week. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend, colleague, or family member. We really enjoy making these, and your listening and spreading the word means a lot, so let's dive in. Now, a little bit of a quiet week starting off Monday, so happy Martin Luther King Day to everybody. Markets closed, but then it kind of starts to ramp a bit up because we are in earnings season, and we started that last Friday with a bunch of the banks and some healthcare companies reporting. Then Tuesday, we have Governor Waller speaks on the outlook and monetary policy. Wednesday, we get industrial production for December. We'll get some insight with respect to the housing market for January, along with the Fed beige books. So that'll be an interesting day. And then on Thursday, we get building permits for December, housing starts, and the initial jobless claims. Top it off Friday with the University of Michigan sentiment index for January and existing home sales for December. So, Ken, what are you seeing out of strengths? Well, my first question is, will the Michigan sentiment be improved now that they won a football championship? (laughs) But in all reality, strengths this week, really a lot of strengths that we've seen from from the mega cap sector again with NVIDIA, Meta, Microsoft, Amazon, Google all outperforming. The one exception being Tesla, where the the EV market's been weak. I think you saw reports. There's a a major uh, car rental company that's ditching their EV fleet and selling things at pretty fire sale prices. Yeah, that hurts a weak sector at the moment. But also importantly, you're also starting to see some of the laggard sectors from last year and some of the more defensive areas like uh, healthcare and consumer staples um, starting to show some signs of life here. You even saw energy catching a bit on Friday. So overall kind of starting to see that breath broaden a little bit here. Momentum really seems to be a factor that's working year to date. It's the best performing one. A lot of those names that worked well last year, they almost continue to drift higher. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll kind of dive into that more in the opportunities and threats. There's some, there's at least in my opinion, some reasons behind that. But I'll move over to weaknesses here for now. And it's, you know, I guess really the opposite of strengths, if you will, right? Uh, small caps have been underperforming. The equal weight S&P has been underperforming. Um, and really more speculative areas of the market, like, you know, recent IPOs or the SPAC craze for 2000, those types of companies have been hit pretty hard so far. And, and then speaking of earnings season, the reaction to this season hasn't been great. We've already seen analysts start ratcheting down estimates for the full year. Uh, down to about 243. Now, those estimates for 2025, those remain stable, but I think the bias is for those to start drifting downwards. And I mean, starting it off with the banks on Friday, they were down. They're kind of guiding that their net interest income is going to peak. They're seeing risks tilted to rising defaults. Now, that's from a very, very low base. But anything where you might see a hit to earnings on a go-forward basis, you got to really question, is the best priced in for some of these securities, maybe outside of the capital markets, where you've seen such a frozen IPO market and you've seen frozen credit markets. So underwriting could improve going forward, but certainly loan growth, defaults, net interest income, those are areas for future weakness. We'll point out, I guess United Health had results last week that were pretty solid, but the uh Medical loss ratio is a bit higher than expected and might continue to be a little bit higher here in 2024, which has you know, scared some analysts a little bit. But And the medical loss ratio, it really just looks at how much they're spending on health care for the premiums that they're bringing in. And what they highlighted on their earnings call was that you had a lot of senior citizens in the fourth quarter that were coming in for RSV vaccinations, but so many of them had delayed medical checkups for such a prolonged period of time that they're starting to see all these other services that were needed. So as a result, costs picked up, 
Now, they're saying on a go-forward basis, that's unlikely to repeat. Once you have those services provided, you're not going to need them in perpetuity, but it's certainly overhang on the stock. Sure, absolutely. If you got a checkup in November, you don't need a second checkup in uh, in January. The last week, this will hit on real quick here, is just in- inflation coming in a bit hotter than expected. Um, you know, shelter, auto insurance, medical care, as we just referenced, were kind of the main culprits. And rec spending, a bit of a surprise with really high ticket prices for uh, sporting events. Turning to opportunities, I mean, we've been speaking a lot about artificial intelligence, but it seems like those names just continue to outperform to a large degree. And not only... Did you see it with a Mag 7 X Tesla? But it's really starting to spread to other down capitalization names as well. And when you think about it from an opportunity perspective, you're effectively providing these companies with an opportunity to add pricing power to their products because they're effectively benefiting the consumer in such a significant degree that that consumer might not need to spend as much on labor. They might see all this productivity enhancement hitting their own bottom line. So it really makes sense for them to buy those products and services. And when you see some of these services from demos, I mean, if you have the opportunity to take the time and go and just look at these AI plays, look at what they can do. Imagine what they can do for you or your company. That story hasn't filtered down to the bottom line for a lot of these companies, nor has it really started to impact the top line. So I really would watch an inflection going forward with a lot of these businesses. Now, who are the winners? Might be too early to say, but if you can dig up your sleeves and start doing the research, there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, I think certainly my opinion, I think you'd agree, but feel free to tell me if I'm saying something incorrect here, is that your 2023, the big story was really kind of the development of the hardware side a bit and a little bit on the software side in terms of just really laying the framework for what AI can become in the future. So you've seen, you know, NVIDIA's got a lot of chips that are now out in the open market, right? And Google, Microsoft, you know, ChatGPT all have different products out there. The story going forward perhaps is going to be how companies can really integrate that and change workflows and become more efficient um, and things like that. And, you know, we'll go back to healthcare for a minute. AI as a tool for healthcare companies, especially when you think about potentially chronic disease that maybe is like a multidiscipline issue where, you know, maybe the podiatrist sees something, the ophthalmologist sees something, you know, those two don't usually talk to each other. So being able to kind of use AI to combine all of this data to efficiently look at, you know, what's really the prognosis here, you know, there could be huge jumps in medical technology here. And it's not only that communication, which is going to be of paramount importance going forward, but it's also going to be in drug design. So when you do start thinking about opportunities in healthcare, we're starting to see the biopharmaceutical companies outperform. And I think that AI, to a degree, is behind that. Not only that, but some of those names just got so cheap on a trailing 12-month basis. They're just buying up all these smaller companies. I mean, you're, you're seeing AbbVie do it, Bristol-Myers do it. There's Merck. There's so much opportunity for them to grow through acquisition given to the depressed prices. And you add the AI juicer on top of it, coupled with attractive valuations. And there you go for an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. To be able to really ramp those things up in a you know, fairly aggressive manner in terms of you know, pace, just given what AI can do from a technology standpoint, you know, should, should benefit everyone in the long term, both from cost and new cures, potentially new new products out in the market, that kind of thing. Um, but to go back to the M&A market, we've seen a lot of opportunity in energy lately. And we're continuing to see a lot of M&A in that space. Um, the big deal recently has been Southwestern Energy and Chesapeake officially merging to become the largest domestic EMP company for nat gas. Earlier, we saw 
ExxonMobil, Chevron, Occidental all announced large acquisitions as well. You know, Permian continues to be the, the hot play, if you will, although it's cold today. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of Nat Gas, I want to get long it every time I step outside my door. It's been Arctic and, you know, ERCOT in Texas issued a bunch of warnings again over the next couple of days is, you know, at least domestically, we're in a really frigid cold front, if you will, but, you know, Polar the vortex. entire country. Yeah, you know, I think I saw, what was it, like, it was negative four in Kansas City during a football game. Like, that's that's just wild to me. But all that feeds into the demand for nat gas. So in the short term, you know, that's potentially a little bit of a bullish signal. And, you know, ERCOT's had its own set of issues, which unfortunately for Texans hasn't necessarily worked out well in these times of crisis. So they kind of isolated their grid. But if you're an investor, nat gas is a pretty solid place to be here. Interestingly, the EU nat gas story has continued to, to lessen a bit just because they haven't gotten cold enough, frankly. They've been fortunate in that it's been a really warm winter thus far. And you know, here we are in mid-January, so there's only a couple months left in theory. So <laughs> Theory. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and uh, play meteorologist uh, entirely, but so far they've been they've been lucky weather-wise. And then there are some financials that look interesting. I mean, as a team, we've talked about insurance brokerage companies for quite a bit of time. They have less susceptibility to any weakness from net interest incomes like, like the banks do. They're not as susceptible to loan growth. They benefit when insurance rates go up. Premiums continue to exhibit strong pricing power just because the insurers are still dealing with the lagged effect of inflation. So for them, it just means higher pricing power, and it's a highly fragmented industry where you can grow through acquisition. Really a beautiful industry from an analytical perspective. But then also, if you think about this broad basing we've seen in asset prices for the last three to four years, thinking about fixed income and equities, anything associated with an asset manager is starting to look attractive because the probability that we enter a renewed bull market for perhaps both stocks and bonds, the probabilities there are higher. So if those asset managers start to see that inflect in their assets under management, earnings should also inflect. Absolutely. It's it kind of speaking of those asset managers a little bit in terms of a, one last opportunity here. Bitcoin ETFs finally getting approval last week. A bit of a mixed response kind of all over the place from the market. I think you've seen a lot of volatility in the asset itself. You've seen some companies that have been basically just functioning as Bitcoin holders, lose some value. You've seen you know, other areas increase. Vanguard came out and announced that they're not going to allow any of their clients to invest in Bitcoin. You're kind of our Bitcoin guru, so I turn it over to you. What should, uh, what should we be looking for here going forward with this ETF approval? Well, I don't know what's going to happen in the near term. All I know is that it continues to be a pretty hated asset within Wall Street. I mean, even when we were thinking about what to discuss on this show, we were effectively told, if you want to talk about Bitcoin, maybe we should run it up the flagpole. And anything like that, you know, from a investor psyche perspective, there's still a significant aversion. I'm not going to sit here and say that there's a case to own Bitcoin from an investment perspective, but certainly from a psychological perspective, when there has been so much denigration towards an asset class, despite its resounding success, and as it becomes adopted now by Wall Street, it still has that psychological overhang. And if we can ever break that, it certainly will represent an opportunity. Absolutely. I wonder, kind of going forward for Bitcoin, is because really this is going to significantly improve availability and accessibility for the asset, because there'll be a lot of folks that aren't necessarily tech savvy that don't want to deal with you know, creating their own wallets and, and things like that, who would be more than happy to go buy an ETF. If that increased accessibility perhaps leads to a overall decline in volatility for the asset over the long haul going forward here. Definitely the possibility that it matures as an asset class. That's a strong statement. 
<laughs> Definitely a possibility. <laughs> With that, we'll move over to, to threats here, which is really, you know, looking at inflation again. You know, as we talked about earlier, inflation came in a bit higher than expected on Thursday last week. Certainly bringing things down from nine to three is kind of the easy part, but three to the three to two percent, which is kind of the, the last move we're looking for here, probably going to be more challenged. Most of the drop has been to supply chain improvements. But as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, supply chain disruption is absolutely back in force with the Houthis attacking ships in the Red Sea and kind of basically shutting that down and adding you know an extra week, week and a half to all these voyages as you know people have to go around Africa now as opposed to just through the Red Sea and over to Europe. And you've also less discussed, but still important, drought conditions over in Panama. Panama Canal is in, at a really low water level, so they're only be able to move, you know, like a quarter of the ships that would normally go through there on a given day. So there's, our canals are having problems. I'm just so happy I took that cartography class so I know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> Turning back to inflation and, and, and the prevailing level of interest rates, the market still seems to be convinced that the path of least resistance is for the Fed to cut. I think we're still pricing in six cuts. We were pretty adamant that the market lagged throughout the entire rate hike regime, pricing in what the Fed would do. It's probably getting ahead of itself from a cutting perspective. So as we turn our attention to the future, monetary policy might be tighter for longer and that impacts the relative valuation of stocks. You know, when you can still lock in 5, 5.5% on money market funds, you don't have to go up the risk spectrum to chase returns. Now, if those yields do drop significantly, that's, that's a different story, but we're not in that environment yet. Yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of watch that whole dynamic play out in terms of, you know, the Fed's forecasting three cuts, whereas the market is telling them you're going to cut six times this year how that plays out. You know, if the if the market wins, then you know, we're gonna see yields drop pretty sharply this year, right? About a percent and a half. And if the Fed's right, I think it's probably gonna be a bit of a headwind for for equities uh moving forward here and frankly bonds um in the short term. But honestly that'd just be another opportunity to rediversify your portfolio and rebalance. All right guys, let's roll around the horn and figure out what our headlines are. Headline strength. Mega cap momentum. Headline weakness. Small caps and the earnings reaction. Opportunity. What's our headline? The broadening use of AI. And our headline threat. Persistent inflation and rising energy costs. Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, episode 86, Monday, January 15th. Ken Bellinger, senior trader. Thanks. Thank you. Jason Cooper, research analyst. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.